This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hey, it's Ron. This episode was recorded before I launched Politicology when I hosted the Lincoln Project podcast on this feed. If you have questions, comments, or advice, you can reach us at podcast at politicology.com or find us online at politicology.com. Enjoy. Hello from the Lincoln Project, and welcome back. I'm Ron Steslow. Today, we're bringing you another Explained episode, where we take a question we get frequently from our listeners and we take a deep dive to explain it. In our last Explained episode, I mentioned that we take a closer look at the Electoral College, and today we're going to do just that. In order to get a better understanding of it, we'll start by talking about the history of the Electoral College and how the concept was developed by the framers. Then we'll get into how the process works and discuss faithless electors, which you've probably heard so much about, and why there's very little chance they'd impact the election. Finally, we'll talk about a push for changing how the Electoral College functions. So let's start by talking about how the Electoral College came about in the first place. The system that we have for choosing the president today was constructed by a couple of different laws. The Constitution, Article 2, Section 1, which establishes a lot of the mechanics, and the 12th Amendment, which creates a distinct vote for president and vice president, as well as federal statutes and various state laws. Now, during the Constitutional Convention, there were two divisions around how to elect the president that ultimately led to the Electoral College. The first was between large and small states, or more accurately, highly populated states and less populated states. And the other division was between slave-owning and free states. A direct popular election would have put slave-owning states at a disadvantage because there were fewer people eligible to vote. And the Electoral College tied the number of electoral votes in each state directly to that state's representation in Congress. So every state received electoral votes equal to the number of senators and representatives in Congress for their state. After a hotly contested debate, the Electoral College system, coupled with the Three-Fifths Compromise, the provision that every five slaves would count as three people for taxation and representation purposes, allowed slave-owning states to rival the electoral power of states in the North. Now, it's important to note here that James Madison himself argued that a national popular vote was most fitting for choosing the president. This even put Madison's home state of Virginia at a disadvantage electorally, but he argued for it anyway. Ultimately, he wasn't able to persuade delegates from the other southern states to side with him, and the Electoral College system was adopted. That brings us to how the Electoral College actually works. So on our last Explained episode, I pointed out that when people go to the ballot box in a presidential election, they don't vote directly for their preferred candidate. They vote for a slate of electors selected by the political party in each state. 
And after the votes are counted and the results are certified, the electors are appointed to vote in the Electoral College. The number of electors in each state is still equal to the number of seats that state holds in the U.S. Senate and the House combined. Additionally, the 23rd Amendment to the Constitution granted Washington, D.C. three electoral votes for a total of 538. That's the total number of senators, which is 100, House members, 435, plus D.C.'s three electors. So since a candidate needs to win a majority of the electoral votes to win the election outright, a candidate must win half of the total electoral votes plus one. So 270 electoral votes. And that's why you see that number everywhere, like on TV. If no candidate wins a majority of the electoral votes, the winner of the presidential election is then determined by the House of Representatives. Now, if that happens, if the election has to be determined by the House, then each state only receives one vote and it changes the calculation a bit. So that 538 number goes away. The 270 electoral vote number goes away. It means that a candidate would need to receive votes from at least 26 states in order to be elected. And each state's delegation to Congress decides amongst themselves to which candidate they're going to cast their votes. And they do that by voting. And they only need a simple majority among those representatives to agree on who they should vote for. So if you think back to the election of 1800, which was cast to the House to decide, they went through multiple ballotings because there were so few states uh, that they actually ended up in a lot of ties. And so the answer to that is just keep voting until the vote changes. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. So on the Monday after the second Wednesday of December, this year it's December 14th, these 538 electors meet within their states and cast their votes for president. We mentioned in our last Explained episode that the slate of electors who win the popular vote in their state pledge to vote for their candidate in the Electoral College. But even if it is clear which candidate won the popular vote in any state, some electors may violate that pledge and vote for a different candidate. And these are those faithless electors that you've heard so much about, and they've gotten a lot of attention during this election cycle. So there are a lot of people who are anxious about this. If there are these group of people who can actually legally change their vote in conflict with the popular vote in their state, how worried should we be that they're going to change the outcome of the election? And that's totally valid. But an analysis by the Brookings Institution found that in the history of presidential elections, faithless electors have changed the vote total but they have never affected the outcome of the election. For example, the 2016 election saw a historic number of faithless electors, seven in total. Two of them were pledged to Trump and switched their vote, and five of them were pledged to Clinton and switched their vote, who cast their ballots for someone other than the pledged candidate. But based on the results of this year's election, Joe Biden is expected to win 306 electoral votes, 
And that means that at least 37 pledged Biden electors would have to change uh, their votes to Trump or to abstain from voting for Biden to not win the requisite 270 votes on December 14th. So this number of faithless electors is highly unlikely to happen. 33 states and Washington, D.C. all have state laws requiring electors to vote for the candidate for whom they were selected. We call these bound electors, so they can't change their mind. These include 19 states and Washington, D.C., where electors must vote for Biden as a matter of law. And that means that there are 199 electoral votes already promised to Biden that can't be changed. 15 states, including Michigan and Arizona and Nevada, have laws that allow them to remove, penalize, or even cancel the votes of electors who break their pledge. So this past July, the Supreme Court ruled that these laws to bind electors to the candidate for whom they were selected are constitutionally sound. So we actually have the highest court of the land ruling that that's not going to change. So I guess I should also point out for you who gets chosen to be an elector. That's a question we get a lot. They are actually carefully selected by the state party in each state. So that means that 306 of the electorals who will vote in the Electoral College were chosen by state Democratic parties. So you can understand why they're incredibly unlikely to vote for Donald Trump. So because of how votes are apportioned in the Electoral College, there have been only four times in U.S. history where the candidate who won the popular vote has not won the Electoral College vote and therefore the presidency. This happened twice in the 1800s, and then in 2000, everyone remembers Bush v. Gore, and then again in 2016, where Donald Trump won the Electoral College despite losing the popular vote by about 3 million votes. And after that, there were loud calls for reform. And one of those reforms is the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact. You may have heard about this. It would allow states to pledge their electoral votes to the winner of the national popular vote. And currently, there are 15 states and Washington, D.C. that have all signed on. These states have a total of 196 electoral votes, so the compact wouldn't take effect until states comprising 270 electoral votes signed on. And even after that, the compact is likely to be challenged in court. All of this means that when the Electoral College meets on December 14th, Joe Biden will receive more than the 270 electoral votes he needs to become president of the United States. So to bring this back to the present moment and to ease the anxieties of many of you out there, all of this means that when the Electoral College meets on December 14th this year, Joe Biden will receive more than the 270 electoral votes he needs to become president of the United States. Thanks to everyone at home for listening. We've designed these explained episodes based on the great questions we've received from all of you. So please keep them coming. If there's some topic or question you'd like to hear explained, just let us know. This episode was recorded when I hosted the Lincoln Project podcast on this feed. If you have any questions or advice, you can reach us at podcast at politicology.com. And please know that even if we don't respond, we read every email we get and we love hearing from you. If you enjoy the show, it would help us if you could rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Ron Steslow. 
I'll see you in the next episode.